0: Hi, Dr. Reza Abraham, pleasure to have you all the way from Malaysia to share about coaching and what you see in high-performance teams and organizations. For those who don't know you
1: yet, could you introduce yourself? Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. You can just call me Reza. Yeah, I'm actually like born and raised in Iran. I started my journey as an industrial engineer. And then uh, later on, of course, I took my MBA and PhD and been in consulting and coaching and training business my whole adult life. So earlier in my career, I was, of course, very focused on building system and technology. But then later on, only I realized that most of the times the technology and system fail was because of the people who are involved in that. And that really grabbed my attentions and bring me through a journey of really understanding what does it take that two person in the same organizations, one of them are like happier, healthier, wealthier, performing or outperforming themselves and another person always a struggle always blame always nagging and so on and that, that really grabbed my attention to understand uh, the, the whole journey has been amazing to work with a lot of like top leaders athletes ultra high performers individuals in a different different industries and uh, the rest is the history 20 years forward and there you are with you
0: <laughs> amazing So before we talk about the 20 years, you started, like many folks, as a consultant at McKinsey. So you got to tell us a little bit. How did you end up choosing to be a consultant and what did you learn
1: there? Yeah, sure. Consulting basically wasn't something that I was very familiar with. And, uh, the reason actually I got involved into consulting business was because of like some of the during, especially during the university time. So we had some, some of our lecturers that they have been involved in a consulting business, meaning that they were full time lecturers, but then they also do a lot of consulting job with different, different organizations. And that really grabbed my attention. And it was very interesting because the life of a consultant was always about traveling. The <laughs> cat meeting new customers, new clients, different industries, and uh, that really, really caught my attention. And I was very passionate about, of course, traveling at that age. I mean, traveling part of it at that age. And then later on, of course, now 20 years forward, traveling has already been removed. We are not really getting excited every time we have to travel. And uh, of course, family evolved the whole things. But what I personally, I can say like Jeremy, I loved about consulting all the way until today is the flexibility and variety of the projects and people that you get involved with compared to when you're working in a one organization and all you see is everything is within that group of people and often you're only involved with the internal stakeholders. I, I love that part of it, like meeting people, different customers, different problems, different opportunities, applying different strategies. And how and how amazing it is that the strategy that works in one organization's doesn't work in another company. And it's like, it's just amazing. It's just amazing how people perceive things and how you need to twist it in order to make it workable in a different, different places.
0: I'm also very appreciative for my early start and career at Bain. And what's interesting is that you chose to become a coach, which is relatively rare, right? After after McKinsey. A lot mm. of people at McKinsey are consulting, they go into you know banking, private equity, yeah. you know, operator roles, even being a founder. And yet you chose to work on, you know, kind of human coaching and performance improvement. So how did you come to that understanding? Was it like in you all along? Or was it something you discovered at McKinsey? Or how did you come about and say, like, I want to be a coach?
1: The journey for me was a little bit different because I was always involved in people and change. So that was one of my main area that I got really, really interested. I wanted to understand like, what does it take to change people? Very interesting that at first, when you are joining the training coaching side of the consulting job, because any, any consultancy project, obviously at the end of the day, they're always a lot of resistance from especially when it comes to implementation part of it right you know so it's it's like exactly you want to have like a kidney transplant so when you want to bring the new kidney inside so what the what the, the doctors do first of all they try to reduce the immunity system of the whole body so that they can put the new kidney inside and then they allow the the, the new kidney basically to take over the job that it has, then only they, they, they let the immunity system goes up. So this process, when we are talking about the body it's very straightforward. So the science has already discovered that. But when it comes to the human being, the things is like way more complicated. That's why like Japanese, they often say like five people, five colors, right? People are very, very different. So sometimes the person actually that you are talking to in the meeting in front of you, they are okay with it. But then they walk out of the meeting room and they just sell stupid idea. It doesn't work. I don't know what these people are talking about. They don't understand our culture. They don't understand our people. And so that, that, really grabbed my attention to understand why some people, they are not on board, right? So why some people are so happy and they're willing to do stuff and some people, they don't want to do it. So this question, it really triggered my attention to understand exactly Okay, so consultants, often they don't want to be a lot involved on the people's side. They leave it to the company. You deal with people. We just stand outside. We guide you through that process. But I was very interested to understand, like, how can I help them even better? And that brings me to the business of like, training and coaching. I had a lot of understanding in the beginning of like how people learn. I thought this is the way to teach people and then everybody understand it. But then when I started to learn it in a very professional way, when I get involved in the training, mentoring, coaching, and counseling to a certain extent, which when we tell people training, mentoring, coaching, often they think like, oh, they're all the same, but actually they are absolutely different. They're not the same. They're not pl- applying for the a, for a same person. And oftentimes people, they have a lot of confusing in that area. So the love of working with people basically is something that bring me out of just like being involved with the technology or investment side and go move towards the people side of it.
0: And that's really amazing because lots of people are interested in how people change and how humans grow. It's just that coaching as a career is one way to do it, right? You could be a manager and still be interested in people change. You could be a CEO Mm -hmm. or founder, still be interested. So, you know, when you became a coach, you know, what did you learn from the experience about the job itself? Is it, I mean, you've stayed in it (laughs) till then. So I guess you must like it. Mm -hmm. How is a job as a coach perhaps different from how people conceive it to be? Perhaps how was it different from how you initially thought being a coach would be like?
1: Okay. Cool. That's that, that's a, that's a good question. So first of all, let's define what the coach does. The general understanding of most people is that a coach is. See, when we talk about the word coach, very often people associate it with like a football coach or a badminton coach. That is the general understanding of like most people. And you would be surprised to know that even sometimes at the C-suite level. They have the same understanding. It means that the coach will just come in and tell you what to do, right? That's it. But the truth is, that's exactly what the coach does not do. Even you would be surprised to know that the term coach, even in a general public, is used in a wrong aspect too. Because like, let's say, for example, you have no idea what, how to play badminton. And then you go to the court and then somebody is there and people say, okay, that's your badminton coach. Actually, that's not a coach. That's just a trainer. They become a coach when you are a professional badminton player. That's how the coach comes in, meaning that the role of the coach in, in even in a normal day to day life, even in a sport, it is not really applied when you are in a very low level. So coaching often is really suitable when the person has reached certain level of competencies. It means that they're really good at what they're doing. So the, your job when you're going in to help that person, it's more of you are having this torchlight. The best analogy that I can put is that there is a dark room. The person has all the keys. He has all the resources in the room. He knows what to do with his company, with his life. And all you do, you just have this torchlight and help them help them to find that key, that's it. So the way that coach often help the coachee, whoever it is, whether it's a life coaching or it's a professional coaching or it's a personal coaching or even a performance coaching, is by asking great questions so that you can trigger their own thinking so that they can actually go back think about it, and come up with a solution. So what we believe often as a coach, there are three main mindsets that we have when we are working with a different, different individual. The first one is that coaching, it's often focusing on the person's strength. We don't coach people on their weaknesses, We coach them on their strength and we focus on their strength. So sometimes people say like, then what would I do with my weaknesses? Well, it's up to you. If you want to improve it, then we recommend them to go for a training or they can read books. And there are many ways that you can actually improve yourself. But coach does not help you in that area. Coach will take your strength and make you from good to become great. That is something that most people, they have no idea about that too. The second mindset that we believe in coaching is that coaches are often solution enabler, not solution provider. We don't provide solution to people. So sometimes people ask, ask like, so, I mean, you never give any idea to the person? Like, you would never provide any solution to them? Oh, well, we do in certain areas as a coach, right? But then that's not the coaching anymore. And we often tell them, for example, sometimes I'm having a conversation with a C-suite and then the person asks, so Reza, I really want to know what's, what's your opinion on this one? Like, what do you, what do you think? And so this is the, how the coach answer. The coach will say like, oh, well, you know what? If you want to know my opinion, if I'm in that situation, this is what I would do. But you know what? It may not work for you. So I want you to make a decision. What would you like to do? Because I don't want the coachee to come in the next session and say like, that's what you said. I just follow what you asked me to do. And that's where all the problem gets started. Meaning that we don't want to get the blame and we want to empower them. We want them to be in control. We want them to make a decision what they want to do. And the last one is that the last mindset in coaching is that we always believe that people are very creative. People are very, very creative. So it means that they can come up with a lot of solutions. But often the problem is that either they are rush. It means that they are in the midst of crisis, so they can't really apply coaching practices because coaching is a very patient process. And then the second one is that sometimes they're just lazy and a laziness by itself is a world to discover together. Some of them, they are stubborn. Some of them, they're ignorant. That's that's by itself is a, is a chapter in coaching world. <laughs>
0: And what's interesting is you're talking about how you try not to provide answers and you're listening to them to draw out their strengths and their own answers. And that seems quite if I may say contrarian to how most people think about changing people, right? You change people by telling them what to do. And what you're kind of saying is you can't change people by telling people what to do. So why is that this misconception that you change people by being directive with the answers, solutions and the saying, hey, that's your problem and this is the answer.
1: Sure. So that that's that's itself, Jeremy, is a very, very big question in, in, in a coaching world, right? So see, most people, most managers, or most I mean, I, I don't want to call them leaders. I often call every time I work with the with the people, I call them the managers because I'm I'm coming from that understanding that the organizations can call you a manager, but only your people will call you a leader. You you can't call yourself, I'm a leader. It's a wrong word that a lot of people use it in a wrong aspect. So what what is very important is that most managers are often come to this understanding that I've been hired by the organizations and I've been paid to tell people what to do. That's, that's, That's what most people think. And they think that if I just tell the person what to do, the person will accept it and they change themselves. But that's not how reality works. We know people doesn't work like that. So generally, we put the people into two categories. The first category of the people, we call them as an ignorant people. Ignorant is someone, Jeremy, that they know what to do. They can do it, but they just don't do it. For some reason, we don't know why, but you just don't do it. Yeah. So meaning that they haven't come to that understanding that I need to do certain things. The second group of people is the people we call them as stubborn people. The stubborn person is someone who knows what to do. He can do it, but he won't even do it in the future. And that is where all the problem gets started. Because the higher you go in an organization, especially, your ego is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So when your ego gets bigger, your stubbornness also is getting bigger. So it means that it shifts from ignorant towards stubborn. Because imagine this, much of our character has been shaped in the first 25 years of our life. You are who you are because of the first 25 years of your life. After the age 25, changing people's character, especially character, not behaviors, characters, it requires a major reflection. It requires a major realizations. One of the persons who has done a massive studies in this area is this, this, uh, this guy by the name of Dr. David Buss. He's one of the top 10 psychologists on earth. He's also the founder of evolutionary psychologists. They came to this understanding that when people cross the age of 30, the character will not almost change will not change. It means that the only way for the person to change is when they go through a massive trauma or when they go through like you know a major pain in their life. You know that's how they change. So, let's assume we don't want people to go through that massive pain. We don't want them to go through that massive trauma. So how they can change themselves? Do you think they will change by somebody come and tell them like you need to change? They never change. So the way for them to change is by going back, think about it reflect on it, and then only they make a decision to change themselves. And that requires a lot of time. That's why coaching itself is a developmental tool. It's something that it will require a lot of patience, and it takes such a long time to really discover something. But here's also another aspect of it that you got to understand about coaching, is that oftentimes we tell leaders that coaching it's something that it is most suitable for people who are at least an average performer coaching is not really the best tool when it comes for the low performers It is really, really not the best strategy to coach someone who is a low performer. You know why? Because you ask the person, okay, you know what? I want you to think about this and I will meet you in our next meeting. And then the person comes back in the next meeting and you ask them, so what do you think? You say, I have no idea. And then the boss will say like, no, 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 you don't understand. I want you to go back and think about it. And then the person comes back after two weeks I have no idea. So in that kind of situation it means that either the boss needs to be very very patient as a coach or they just have to switch their hat they have to just become a manager and tell the person what needs to be done. And that's where it, that's why we often say like coaching is not applicable for everyone. Some people they're just not coachable. There is nothing wrong with the coaching, but coaching is not the only tool. Therefore sometimes you know managers they just Overuse the coaching approach. They're overusing it. It means that they apply and use the coaching techniques almost on everybody, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work because not everybody is designed to be coached. Some people, they just rather receive the task, and that's all. It is the same same concept, Jeremy. That we often say, not everybody is supposed to become a manager. Some people maybe they just want to remain as an individual contributor. What's interesting is that you said folks should not necessarily coach all the time. Effectively,
0: Mm. you're saying that instead, maybe you may choose to direct them and give them very direct instructions. So instead of coaching people, you should what? Tell them what to do? You should, if a manager is like at the end of their rope, right? Or they don't think coaching is working. what, What are the alternatives? Is it termination? Is it performance improvement plans? How would you recommend them to think about it?
1: Oh yeah. You see, when you are already reached to the end of your coaching with someone and you already, okay. So first of all, let's, let's define like, what is the end of the rope look like? How do you know someone is not coachable? When you receive this kind of messages from someone, like I, I had coached someone and then the person told me like this at the end, he said, I am who I am. Take it or leave it. You don't want me? Give me the letter. So that's the point that we understand. Okay. This person is not coachable. So now the manager needs to make a decision. Am I going to live with this guy? And if I'm going to live with this guy, at what cost? So you have to make a decision. What do you want to do with this guy? So sometimes people would just decide, do nothing about that person. You say, you know what, Reza, I'm just done with this guy. I don't want to talk to him. I, or, you know, they just like cold storage the person. Just leave them like this. Give them some super easy task. And at some times, at some, there are some times that, Jeremy, we advise managers that it's all right. It's all right. You don't have to fix everybody. You have someone who got just got two years to be retired and to just leave it like that. You don't need to be worried too much. But what you can do is that you can protect the rest of the teams, yeah? So here's the thing. So let's say we don't have that kind of situation. We have someone who has still got like 10, 15 years to go and I already coached the person, I have put a lot of effort, but then the person basically does not change. So what should I do? The key things that managers need to make a decision is that do not play gray area. You have to be extremely clear about what is right, what is wrong. What is black? What is white? Don't play in between. So here's the conversation look like. You just tell the person, hey, you know what? I've been working with you and I tried to coach you for the last six months. But unfortunately, I see no area of improvement happening in the next six months. And you know what? The things that I emphasize a lot, it has been happening for the past one month, three times, you know, specifically tell the person, like, why are you unhappy about this whole thing? So in my hand, what I can see right now, I have two options. The option number one is for you to immediately improve in this area. I don't want to see you late and so on. Or the second option is that, well, in the next one month, I have to get engaged HR and we have to issue a show letter and you may need to be removed from the organizations. So what would you like to do? So it means that it's a very clear instruction that either you need to shape up or you have to ship out. There is no in-between. That is so, so important. That's why I often tell the managers, you know, I, I have worked with a lot of managers. I'm talking about like C minus one, C minus two, C minus three. I have worked with these people. And you know what? Sometimes they just tell me like this, you know what is up? I would love to do what you ask me to do, but I just can't do it. I feel like, you know, I'm responsible for all these guys. And here's what I always tell them, that some people, frankly speaking, Jeremy, the best help to give them is just not to help them. Because your job, your most important job as a manager is to protect the key employees, the assets of an organization. You know, not everybody is a human resource. Some some human capital, some of them are just like human being, that's all. It's just a resource in the organizations. And our job as a leader often is to protect the best of the organizations. And here's what we found. I mean, these is the studies that have been done by, if I'm not mistaken, Boston Consulting Group, that there's a very, very high percentage of the people, especially high performers, the star players, they leave organization not because they don't love their job, not because they don't love their boss, because they see no action from the managers, and there is no consequences for those people who are not carrying their own weight. And that is so important. So the job of the leader is just to be super precise concise exactly what you want offer two option shape up ship out that's it and of course in this kind of conversation depends on the countries that your audience are coming from my personal view is always like discuss with HR I understand the law very well and here's the most important part the two key like small tips here that people often forget number one every conversations that you're having with that manager you got to be black and white don't just have like a verbal conversation, meaning that when the HR come to you and say like, so what was your conversation look like? You just say, oh, you know what? The other day we just have like a coffee sessions and then I told him like this, right? That got no value. The second one is that please work on a time frame. It means that tell the person, I have one month with you. Today is uh, what we call that 13 uh, August. I'm going to give you until 13 September. And guess what? This is based on my experience in both consulting and coaching people often ship out it means that they make a decisions to get out of that situation most of the times that's the that's the scenario it means that very very rare you will find people that they stick around and then they want to go through micromanagement they want to go through all the hassles so they rather to exit themselves i mean they will find their way out
0: And what's interesting is, as you talk about this, is that you said, you know, there are some managers, but you hesitate to call them leaders. So it seems like you differentiate quite clearly between managers versus leaders. Not all managers are leaders. Mm. And perhaps not all leaders are managers. So could you share a little bit about what the difference is in your perspective?
1: Sure. Let's look at the word by itself. The word leadership, it's uh, the first time has been used in Navy. And uh, if you look at the origin of the word leadership, it started like this, lead the ship. And if you look at the focus of the word lead by itself, the origin of the word is defined as to go from. It means that you go from point A to point B. It's often about traveling yeah, or moving from one point to another point. And what the leaders often do, they help An individual, they help a team, they help an organization to move from one point to another point. Or when it comes to individual, they help individual to surpass themselves. But the word management, it also comes started from the word itself. It's often defined like this. If you look at the word management, the word itself, it's written like this. Manage me, that's the first step. And the second step is manage men. But if you look at the root of the word manage, it means to handle, to control, to handle the status quo. It means that managers are often a very, very good people to put the things together. making sure nothing goes wrong, but not necessary. They bring a team, bring an organization from one point to another point. So leadership and management, both of them, Jeremy, are the style of the people. It's the style. So some people, they really help people, they empower people, they inspire people to become a better version of themselves. But managers, often, they don't do that because that's what not even the word management designed in the first place. So one of the key questions that any of your audience they want to understand okay so is my style is more of leadership or is more of management they just got to answer this question it's a very very interesting reflective question here's the question as a result of your involvement since the day that you joined this organization this team this family whatever it is do the people the team or the organization doing better or it's just as good as it was when you first join. If everything is like, as it is, not much change, things are like as efficient as it was, as organized as it was, it means that your style is more of management. But if you are someone who goes in, you shake stuff, you change things, you move people around, you improve sales, you improve profit, you improve engagement, you are someone who are designed to become a leader. It means that your style is more of leadership. So these two are very, very different things. So the key question here is that, okay, this is this is cool. I love this idea. But the problem is that management, it also comes with a very fixed mindset. Leadership often it comes with a very big growth mindset. It means that leaders are generally why people love them, why people basically follow them. Because They're very open, for example, to receive feedback. They are really good at connecting with people. Their focus oftentimes it's on people. Managers, their focus are often on process. They're very good at system. They're very good at organizing stuff, right? So what makes the, you know, the the, the one of the big questions here that often comes up is that, hmm, okay, so you're saying that managers are very focused on process, leaders are very focused on the people. So are you saying that leaders, they don't care about the process? Well, they do. So you know, the way that leaders often take care of the process is that they take care of the person who take care of the process. But managers on the other side, what happens is that when anything goes wrong, they just roll up their sleeves and get involved in the process. That's why, Jeremy, you often find managers, they are so, so busy. They're working like 24-7. And then because all the time they're taking care of a couple of seats, they're not doing anything wrong. They're absolutely right. But the problem is that then they come and complain about like, oh, we don't have any work-life balance. My life sucks. And then at the end of the day, if you are a manager, if you have that management style for a very, very long time, you develop this, what we call it as managerial method. They call it as an emperor and many helpers. It means that when one day manager is not around, A one-day manager decides to leave that organization, everything is gone. People basically, is just like, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to make a decision. He just left a bunch of disabled people that they have no clue how decision-making happened. But leaders are exactly opposite that direction. They inspire people. and, And how do you inspire them? You walk the talk, you talk the talk, you walk the walk, you talk the talk. Meaning that your action, your thoughts, and your words are always the same.
0: What I've noticed is that in that vein, everybody likes great managers and lots of people hate great leaders. So something is quite dissonant, right, that happens there. Why is it that people praise great leadership but also hate on them as well?
1: Yeah. See, this is, this is also another very big major difference between leadership style and management style. Leadership style often comes with a lot of democracy. Management style, it comes with a lot of dictatorship and autocracy. So what the managers often very good at it means that they are very predictable. They're very predictable. Management style is often very predictable because it's the status quo, right? So imagine, imagine like you know, okay, the best example that I can give it to you guys is that management works in a very systematic way. Yeah. So can you imagine what is the definition of the system? They said system can help an ordinary person achieve an extraordinary result predictably. Think of like a McDonald. When you go to McDonald what you expect in that McDonald's will always be the same. The moment you walk in, somebody will shout out from the back there, welcome to McDonald's. And then you go and stand on a queue, the person will ask you, "Having you here? And then you say yes. And then you say like, you know, can I take your order? You say that one, give me a, a, a Big Mac. And then the person says set, you say yes. You say large, you say yes. So you see everything happening in that McDonald's is pretty much the same. So it means that either you like it or you don't like it. You don't see surprise in that process. It's always the same. And the reason people love it, because it's very predictable. But when it comes to leadership, it doesn't work like that. Leadership is a very democratic process. And you know, democracy is often very tough because it requires, there are some people that they love you and there are some people that they hate you. But here's the thing. When it comes to leadership, we can't please everyone. We cannot please everyone. There are some people that at the end of the day they may not be agreeable with certain decisions that you make. So that's that's primarily the reason that managers of often like being loved and less being hate, because you sign up for this one. And I told you that everything is gonna be very predictable. This is the way we do it and no change. If you don't really like it, you just it is it. But leadership, it often comes with the promise of change. It means that we are growing, we are always getting better, we are changing the stuff. But here's the thing, at some point, people may don't like certain decisions that you make, like certain strategy that you have. And I believe that even in your background, you, have, you often have seen that sometimes people, you know, they invest into the new technology and new business a new venture. And then there are some people that say like, no, we don't like it. And then the leader say, "No, come on, guys, you have to support this. We are all together as a team." And then that's how slowly the fractures will comes in, the grievances will comes in. That's why leadership is often unpredictable as well. This is also another in the same topic, if you want to put it, it. That that makes the leadership very interesting as well, because this is what we often say: leadership is not even a noun; it's a verb. It's dynamic. It's keep going up and down. You know, now I can be in an excellent relationship with you. We have like so much things in common. We love one another. And then you know what? I make one decision and you can hate me for the rest of your life. That makes the leadership also awesome. It means that if you want to be a great leader, you can't be a machine. You have to be an extremely likable person. And that's that's itself, it's a very good topic as well. Leaders, if they are not likable, often have a lot of difficulties and uh, my definition of the likable it might for some of your audience was like what do you mean by likable likable is someone who can make a point but you don't make enemy meaning that people don't hate you you can say something that it's very unpopular you can make a decision that is very unpopular but people don't hate you and that is a major skill sets by great leaders.
0: Amazing. There's so much to unpack here. And I love the point about how likability is important here. We're starting to turn the page here a little bit, which is, could you share with us about a time that you have been brave?
1: Oh, that's a very big question. Which side? Personal or work?
0: (laughs) Dealer's choice.
1: (laughs) Well, I, th- I think every one of us we are making a lot of big, big decisions in our life. Every time that we decide to be courage, whether in our personal life or in our professional life, it requires a lot of braveness. It requires a lot of courage. And uh, the things about braveness is that sometimes you don't know the consequences of that decision. So that's why that's why it, it requires a lot of like guts, feeling, and deep insight. So if I want to pick about like you know my personal life, I think the big decision is to getting married that that requires a lot of <laughs> that require a lot of courage and braveness because deciding to get married by itself it means that you're taking a major responsibility and there is a lot of work to be done. When it comes to work, I think the day that I accepted I accepted to become first time to become a manager That is the bravest things that I have done, the first bravest things that I have done in my career. Because I personally, I'm always in this belief system that if you are not really in love to become a manager, you should never become a manager it's so, so important because you know, I've seen so many high-performer individuals. They become a manager because they've been forced to become a manager. They never wanted it. yeah. And then somebody say, come on, I believe in you. You can do it. And then the person becomes a manager. He hates his job. He screw everyone's life. And it was just, just a bad decision. So I made a decision, I had this conversation with my, my superior. I said, like, I want to become a manager. And then that is something that, you know, he said, like, are you sure you want to do that? I say, yep, I want to do that. And what does it take? That is a very brave decision to me. Any Anyone who make that decision, I think they got to be brave.
0: Amazing. When you think about, you know, marriage being a big, a brave decision that was hard for you, I'm so curious, what about it made it so hard for you?
1: <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I mean you see, even if even if you look look at the latest studies, the latest research on marriage is that fifty percent of the marriages fail. Like literally 50% of the marriage fail, depends on the countries that you're coming from. And uh, can, can you imagine if somebody tell you, when you walk out of this building, there would be a bowling ball will drop on your head. What is the chances for you to stay in the office and don't leave the building?
0: <laughs> I'll tell you, <laughs> one, if it's you... <laughs> if you told me 1%, I'll probably wear a helmet coming, coming out. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So imagine, imagine getting married is exactly like that. It's like, you know, you're leaving the office and somebody says there's a 50% chance that there is a bowling ball will drop on your head. Most people, they don't do that. And most people, they don't even think about that. And when I made a decision to get married, this is like about eight, nine years ago, I really, I was just courage to do that. That was a major decision, meaning that because sometimes you're not sure, you know, and the persons that you are going to live your life with and build your whole, like whatever you are, you're planning to do personally and professionally, it's like a 50, 50 chance, right? And uh, it's a hard work. And sometimes people say like, oh, you guys might be compatible. So that works like that. But study shows like compatibility got zero impact on the success of your marriage. So most of the stuff that people explain actually got zero impact. I mean, you know very well, too, that it's a hard work. You have to work really, really hard. A lot of communication required. And uh, yeah, so that, that is something. I think the second bravest one is to have a kid. That is also a really brave move. Now, I, I don't think anybody should have a kid if they are not ready to have a kid or they don't badly want to have a kid. It's a very, very brave decision. It comes with a huge responsibility. It's a huge responsibility.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the child doesn't get to choose
1: you, but you got to choose the child, right? Oh, so. yeah, exactly. You brought them in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I brought you into my life. <laughs> you know? anyway, it's,
0: it's like, what's that? Like <laughs> On that note, i love to kind of like paraphrase, I think, the three big key takeaways I got from this conversation. The first is, of course, thank you for sharing about your trajectory from starting out as a McKinsey consultant and what you learned from there, but also how you built upon your love for people, operations, and change and talked about about how you build on it to understand human psychology and how people actually change and therefore becoming a coach and being thoughtful about sharing about what differentiates a coach from a trainer from the popular perspective. The second is, of course, is thank you for talking about the difference between managers versus leaders. I think we talk about how managers are not necessarily leaders and leaders are not necessarily managers because managers are about creating predictable results that are extraordinary for the same group of people. Whereas leadership is really about leading people to do extraordinary things, but still there's a huge element of unpredictability because of the circumstances required. So amazing content there. And lastly, I really love what you shared about likability and decision making, because um, you're really talking about, I think, the secret for great founders, operators, and executives, which is the tricky part is you got to make tough decisions all the time. And yet you have to minimize how people dislike you, but also maximize the likability at one level, but also being able to articulate that in a persuasive and compelling manner. And lastly, of course, thank you for the bonus marriage and child advice at a time. So (laughs) maybe we had to do another podcast about that.
1: Oh yeah, sure. For those
0: who need to get a hold of you, if you could just very quickly share how they can find you.
1: Yeah, sure. I'm available almost in all the platforms from LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube. And also recently I published my book, In Control, which is available is almost in all digital platforms and also the bookstores. But in most bookstores I think is mostly in Malaysia, but Amazon, Shopee, Lazada, Book Depository, they can also find the book as well. Thank you so much. Most welcome. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share this episode with friends and colleagues. Sign up at www.jeremyour.com to discuss this episode with other community members in our forum. Stay well and stay brave.